Amen. Indeed, you can go ahead and have a seat and welcome to Harvest. And whether this is your first time here, whether you've been here a while, you are family here, whether you're in person or online, we are just thrilled and uh, just excited to open God's word together. We're going to be in John chapter five. If you want to get a head start, and if you don't have a copy of God's word, we have one in the back for you. We'd love for you to have that um, as your own. Um, read it, love it, and praise God for his word. And uh, we love Jesus. It's all about Jesus here at Harvest, and today my prayer is that we all walk away with a greater vision of who Jesus is and the greatness of God and how he's at work in all of our lives. And um, as, as Ellie said during the announcements, not many, well, I don't know, not many of us, a lot of us are not native Marylanders, and I fall into that category. I moved here as a teenager in my early teenage years um, in the 90s, which feels like forever ago. Half of you are like, you're really young. Half of you are like, you're really old. Um, that's, I I guess the definition of being middle-aged. Uh, <laughs> but praise God for how he's moving and working. But one of the things even soon after moving to Maryland that I love is I love downtown Annapolis. Anybody else really love downtown Annapolis? Yeah, it is a happy place for me. The water is soothing uh, for me. It's, it really brings peace. I love to hang out there. As a teenager, uh, I used to hang out on the rocks of the Naval Academy, and it's just great. And Annapolis is beautiful, and it, it's also a little quirky, right? You know, it. It has boat shows, but it also has an epic annual showdown between St. John's College and the Naval Academy, and guess what? Croquet, right? You're like, what? It's got a ton of amazing restaurants that have been featured on things like Man vs. Food and Triple D, and, um, and it's just amazing uh, food. Go to Chicken Roost and eat, try and drink that milkshake, and we'll see what happens, um, and see if you live to tell about it. Um, but one of the interesting traditions that downtown Annapolis has is an epic, and I don't know if you realize this, but there is a, a part of Annapolis downtown that feels like it has seceded from Annapolis, and it's, it's called Eastport. Um, there's a Spot Creek Bridge, and across the bridge, this town of Eastport likes to say that it has seceded. And every year, they have this ginormous uh, tug of war, literally with a rope spanning the spa creek. And they call this um, the slaughter across the water, which is an interesting uh, phrase. But for 20-something years in the fall, it's been going on. And they get bands and music, and it's a party. You'll see it in the picture there. And then you see, um, that's the Annapolis side, because it's got some midshipmen on it tugging. Um, but really, they're trying to figure out who's the stronger, and they, have a, and they raise money for charity, and it's a great event. And the reality is, though, tug of wars exist all around us, don't they? You know, at, at the workplace for power, for authority, or in, the, or in our government, it's an election year. Who's going to have control of the, the House, the Senate, the White House? Uh, in our families, in our churches. But the greatest place that where there's a greatest tug of war for power and authority and struggle is not just anywhere out there, but you know where it is? It's in here. It's on my heart. It's for who sits on the throne of my heart. And unlike this, this slaughter across the water, this tug of war between Eastport and Annapolis, where it really is a party, it's anything but a party when it comes to the authority of who sits on the throne of our lives, because it determines where we will spend eternity. We're going to see that vividly in the text this morning from John chapter 5. We're going to see the reality that ultimately Jesus has the authority, and we will give accountability to him for whether we have submitted our lives to him. And that will determine where we will spend eternity. The reality of Jesus's authority requires a response from you and me. We will either submit and surrender to it and experience life through that, or we will run from it. We will reject it. 
and we will experience life spent in eternity apart from Jesus, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're going to see that in the text. The reality of this, we can't run from it because the beauty of the gospel, the grace and the mercy demands a response from you and I. And praise God that Jesus is risen and reigning. Amen. The question for you and I today is, are we submitting? Are we surrendering? Not just one area of our life, but every area of our life. Because when Jesus gets the throne, everything changes. Everything changes. That's what life is. Life abundantly on earth. Life in eternity with Jesus. So friends today, what's your response to the reality that Jesus is risen and reigning? Are you rejecting him? Or are you receiving him? The big idea for today is this. You'll see it on the screen and in your notes that Jesus' divinity gives him authority over everyone and everything. Jesus' divinity, the fact that he is God, exclamation point, gives him authority over everyone and everything, including you and me. The beautiful reality is no matter how you walk in here today and how you view currently Jesus's authority, that it's not too late for you to submit and surrender to Jesus's authority as your Lord and King, as your Savior, and receive life eternally through Jesus. Praise God for that. Amen. And maybe you have done that in the past, but you've wandered away from it. You, you gave your life to the Lord a, a week ago, a decade ago, a year ago, whatever it is. But honestly, you've sort of kicked Jesus off the throne of your life right now in your sanctification journey, and you're living according to you. And may today, may God convict your hearts and return you to that posture of submission because nothing, nothing, nothing will go right for you really, truly, ultimately until you are submitting and obeying and worshiping Jesus for who he is, the risen king. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we know the reality that we all have a next step to take in response to your authority, the fact that you have the power, that you are risen, that you are reigning. And God, as we look vividly at the beauty of this text today, as we see you declare your authority, your divinity, may we respond appropriately. God, I pray right now in my own heart and for every person hearing your word this morning, that we would respond with humility that you would expose the areas in our life where we need to bow down and that we need to surrender. And that through your grace and through your mercy and through your strength, we would choose to do so today, embracing the life that you are so freely offering us today. The fact that you change everything God, forgive us for believing the lies. Forgive us, God, for anchoring in our flesh. Forgive us for trying to sit so long on the throne of our own heart and not submitting to you. Jesus, we just love you, and we just pray that you would do what you want to do in this place today. Convict and compel, encourage and exhort. Make us more like you. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's open the word, God's word, John chapter five. We're gonna be in verses 18 through 29 today. And as we're gonna see in the text, this natural struggle for authority is, is present in all of us. This is the word of God as written by the apostle John as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Chapter five, verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, him being Jesus. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. 
So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show, will he show them so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor this father, who, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. So as we continue to journey verse by verse to the gospel of John, we continue to anchor in the reality of the thesis of the gospel of John for why John wrote this book. When back in the fall, we start kicked off this series. We said, we want to memorize John 20, 31. I don't know how many of you have done that yet, but we're going to have a little catch up memory quiz. We sort of repeat it every week because it sort of centers us on the reality and adds context to this. So John 20, 31, and I think we see it vividly applied in this text here. It says this, and help me fill in the blank but these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the what? Christ, right? The son of God, that by believing you may have what? Life in what? His name. There is life in the name of Jesus. There is hope in the name of Jesus. And there's authority in the name of Jesus because he is Christ, the son of God. That's where we jump in verse 18 right here. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was actually claiming to be Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. When we left off last week in verse 17, he had, he had healed an invalid of 38 years and he'd done so on the Sabbath and the Jewish leaders are like, you don't not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And he's like, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. My father and I are working on the Sabbath. I don't bow down to man-made religious rules and regulations. I am Jesus Christ, the son of God. I am the creator. But he, in even calling himself God, his own father, he was making himself equal with God. He was dictating, he was declaring his authority. Today in the text, we're gonna see four dominions of the authority of Jesus Christ that he declares. Four aspects of his power that he vividly declares. And then we're going to see how the text phrases it to us, our right response to them. And the question before us is, are you rightly responding to the reality of Jesus's authority in your everyday life? The first is this, Jesus has the authority over all of creation. So what's our response? Marvel at him. His his authority over all creation. How do we how do we know that? Because in claiming the reality that he is God, he is stating the reality that he created 
earth, everything in it. We know from John chapter one that Jesus Christ, the son of God, was active in the creation of the world. He is the creator. So everything, us included, animals, everything, the sun, the sky, the, everything, nature, comes under the authority of Jesus's divinity. Comes under Jesus's authority. All these works that are happening, verse 19, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. All the things that are happening on the earth are demonstrations of the reality that Jesus has authority over creation. Like turning water into wine, as we have already seen in John chapter two. Like healing a 38-year-old invalid. Like no one else could do it, but because Jesus has authority over creation, he can Like having authority, demonstrating authority, dictating, declaring authority over man-made religion and man-made religious rules and regulations. Like we saw at the end of last week, he is declaring the reality that he has authority over creation. He is the creator. He is not the created. Because Jesus has always existed. He exists outside of time. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit have always existed, are existing, and always will be. Praise God for that, amen? May we get a greater picture of who Jesus is through this. And so while Jesus is declaring the reality of his equality with God, he is omnipotent. He has all the power. He is God. He's also declaring in this text a beautiful and really important theological truth that not negating any of his equality with God or his authority, he is God, okay? We got that? He is saying, I have a different role than God the Father. I am in humility, willingly submitting to God the Father. Like he says that in 19. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son, shows him that all he himself is doing in greater works than these, he will show him. Jesus is saying, I submit to God the Father. I am God. I'm not less than God the Father. I'm equal, but I, in a role, choose to submit to God the Father. He says that over and over in his time on earth. God, glorify yourself, not my will, but whose be done? Yours, right? Is that the posture of our own hearts? I think part of this marveling that we are to do is to marvel at Jesus' humility that he wants to do the works of his father. And in the same way, we need to prioritize the works of God the Father. As the Father sent Jesus, so he sends us. Are we submitting to that? I love how one commentator puts it this way about God the Father's relationship with, with Jesus Christ and what Jesus is, God the Son, and what Jesus is trying to do here. And he says, Jesus isn't a trust fund kid trying to distance himself from his father. He's not the black sheep trying to make a name for himself. He's not the type A firstborn trying to outdo his dad and make it on his own. He's perfectly in sync with his father. He's not a second God come to steal worship and adoration that belongs only to the true God. He is the true God. He and the father are one. He says that later in John. To worship God is to worship Jesus and to worship Jesus is to worship God. So what is Jesus doing? He's doing the works that his father sent him to do. And he says that all of these works that you've seen me do, guys, in creation so far, this is just the beginning because greater works 
are yet to come. And he might be referring to John 11 when he raises Lazarus from the dead and, and all these things that he will continue to do to demonstrate his authority over creation. But remember, every single sign that Jesus does was to point to the reality of one, that he is the son of God, and two, that he is our savior, he is the Messiah that he is a giver of life, that he is life, in which this text vividly states that Jesus is the one who gives life. He has authority over creation, and he's continuing to work in a big way. I love what, how Paul describes Jesus, his authority, his divinity, who Jesus is in Colossians chapter one. Paul writes this, he says, he, he being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before, he's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. And in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, him being God, the father, praise God. Amen. Look at the authority of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? When you actually stop to think about it, so what's our right response to the reality of Jesus's authority over all creation? Well, the text says it in John 1, verse 20. Greater works than these he will show you so that what you may what? Marvel. We're not talking about Captain America when he comes to Marvel. <laughs> We're talking about marveling and admiring Jesus for who he is to sitting in the reality that he is the savior, that he is the son of God, that he has authority, the firstborn over the living and the dead. He's a creator. When was the last time you actually slowed down and marveled at Jesus? Like, catch a breath. Like, life is just crazy, right? Let's rush, 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 tyranny of the urgent. But like, you just soaked in the reality of who Jesus is. Isn't it just like, Oh, like life-giving, doing that? Yeah, but so often we get distracted by the tyranny, the urgent, or just the needs, good, bad, ugly, and different of this world. This text is calling us to marvel at the greatness of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. May we find some time to do that, not just this week, not just today, but every day. But this text doesn't just call us to marvel at the divinity of Jesus, which it does, it calls us to marvel at the love of God. Look at verse 20. For the father, what? Loves the son. Praise God that through Jesus, like the Colossians 1 teaches us, that we can become family. We can, Jesus' death on the cross, the fact that he being fully divine, did not give up any of his divinity, took on full humanity so that he could pay our price on the cross fully to offer us life eternally. So that as Colossians 1 said, he is the firstborn, he is so great. And through him, we can become, we can move from being hostile against God 
to being presented holy before God because Jesus clothes us with his righteousness as he pays for our sin on the cross. Praise God for that, amen? That's powerful. And may we marvel at the gospel in that. But look at the love of God. God loves the son. The father loves the son. And so through Jesus, we can become sons and daughters, but this is a, this is a little different right here. What type of love did it take for our God to look at you and I, who he created and say, I love my son, but I am willing to send my only son to die for you who are actively rejecting me. Like sit in that for a second, the gospel, the reality of the gospel. (laughs) We are hostile, we despise, we reject God and he sent Jesus whom he loves to people that would betray him, that would spit on him, that would mock him. Friends, you are so loved. May we soak in the beauty of the love of God and may we marvel at the gospel. That's what this text is calling us to do. What greater love is it that our king would die for us? That the one who is over all would come and die for all, be mocked by all, misunderstood. And, and just go back to Matthew and thinking about how Matthew just explains the gospel and the crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus is hanging on the cross and these people are mocking the religious. If you were really the son of God, if you were really the king, why don't you come down off that cross? Now, Jesus is, this is not a newsflash, way better person than I am. Because I'd be like, fine, I will show you. <laughs> like, but Jesus didn't say, I will show you. He said, I will die for you. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I will forgive you. When you mock me, I will, I will offer you mercy. When you crucify me, I will provide an opportunity for you to confess your sins and have life through me. Friends, we need to marvel at the gospel. Has the gospel become stale for you today? What would it look like for you just to sit in the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ? To meditate on that. It's life-changing. To reorient your life around that. And when you see that we have a king who is has authority over all creation, but he willingly, lovingly chose to be crucified in the most inhumane form of death on a cross for you and me. My mind is blown. I'm not worthy of that. And when I realize how unworthy I am of his love and that he loved me anyway, I just want to respond to that worthiness with worship and adoration but then when I get distracted by the busyness in everyday life and my flesh gets in and I, I edge God out, I lose my marveling and my admiration. Where do we need to return to marveling at Jesus? The gospel, the love of God, that it was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished because he loves us, he cares for us and he laid down his life for us. Praise God that we have that kind of king. And what would it look like for us to live with that humility? Philippians 2 describes it. May we marvel at the love of God today. May we marvel at the authority of God. May we marvel at the humility of God, the son, Jesus Christ. Some of us are like, I'm never going to do that because X, Y, and Z. And Jesus in, in Philippians 2 says, 
who in humility took on the form, took on humanity, taking on even the form of a servant, even death on a cross. Wow. What would it look like for us to live like that in everyday life? Where do you need to live like that today? Not just in one area, but in every area. Praise God for that. Jesus never gave up his deity. He gave up his life. He never gave up his authority. Jesus' divinity gives him authority over everyone and everything. May we marvel at that reality today. And may that motivate us to remember how loved we are and then to demonstrate that love to everyone around us because that's our calling. So the reality of Jesus' divinity is first he's shown in the reality that he has dominion, he has authority over all of creation. The second area of dominion of Jesus' authority that this text shares loudly and clearly is this. Jesus has authority over life and death. So what's our right response? Believe in him. Jesus has authority. Look at verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives what? Life to whom he will. He gives life to whom he will. The fact that Jesus is saying that he has authority over to give life and he has authority over death and life is a declaration loud and clear of divinity because the people in that day and age would understand clearly that God the Father was the only one, New Testament, the Old Testament taught it clearly, that had authority over life and death. And Jesus is saying, I have authority to give life. I have authority over death. It's saying that Jesus is greater even than life or death. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. That Jesus is like, I can raise the dead and I will show you that I can raise the dead physically. I will myself be raised from the dead and I can also raise you from the dead spiritually. That's what the gospel does. When we put our faith and belief in Jesus Christ, we are moved from what was once dead spiritually to alive spiritually. The old is gone, the new has come and I have a new way and a new hope and a new future for eternity in heaven. Praise God for that that this life that Jesus is talking about, the fact that he gives life, the word give is key, right? It's a gift, I'm gonna give it to you. It's God's grace, I can't earn it, I don't deserve it, but Jesus gives it to me, offers it freely. But I need to have faith to receive it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that clearly, so does this text right here in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and what? believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus is talking about becoming, moving from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Second Corinthians 5, 17, right? That we, the old has gone, the new creation in Christ. When we put our faith in Christ, when we say, Jesus, I believe that you are God, the son, that you died on the cross for my sins and were raised for all eternity by, by God and that you are my Lord. I'm going to confess you as Lord. We put belief in him. Then we receive eternal life. Praise God for that. And we are guaranteed that right now. We, we get to look forward to that and live with hope for that. But we are new creations that the Holy Spirit comes inside us, Ephesians 1 says, and secures us for all eternity. Praise God. My friends, this text speaks loudly and clearly that Jesus has authority over life and death. My question to you in response to that, are you receiving it through believing? Or are you rejecting it? And there's no middle ground. You either receive it or you reject it. 
Receiving it means deliverance and eternal life. Rejecting it means destruction and a life apart from Jesus for all of eternity. Our earthly lives are short, and so I would implore you and encourage you with all my heart to make that decision today, if you have not, to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And our eternal life is long. Have you made that choice? So how do we get to receive? We believe. Jesus is saying that over and over and over again. He has the authority over life and death. You can't give something you don't have. He has the authority over life. And this reality of if you have put your faith in Christ should anchor our identity in that guarantee to help us to live with confidence in every circumstance. I love what John, the same author, writes about this concept in 1 John. He says this in 1 John 5, 11 through 13. He says, and this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you, you believe that you believe in the name of the son of God that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. That as you live in this earthly world of ups and downs and sickness and illness and and tragedy, that you can have confidence in the reality of eternity that we can look forward to with confidently if you have believed in Jesus Christ with all of your heart and soul. Have you done that? There's a clear distinction in this first John test. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever doesn't have the son doesn't have life. Which camp are you in right now? Like, be really, 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 really real. Because if you're lying to yourself, eternity is a long time to be wrong and to live apart from God where there is much weeping and gnashing of teeth and darkness. That's the gospel, the reality of the gospel. And I love you too much to not say that. But if you do, whoever has the son has life. And if you have life, you know that you have eternal life. So no matter when your circumstances are great on earth or when they are horrible, you can have confidence that you have eternal life, that you know you have eternal life. Praise God for that. When you believe in God, that gives you confidence to walk through the crisis that you're going to experience in the workplace tomorrow. That, you know what? This world's not my home. I can look forward to that day that is coming that I will experience the glory and the radiance of God because I know I can live with confidence in every circumstance. Where today, through your believing, do you need to anchor your identity in the confidence that you have in your eternal life as opposed to allowing your identity to rise and fall with the circumstances of this eternal life, which were never meant to define you, but so many of us are allowing to right now. You're not defined by how your kids are or are not doing. You're not defined by what amount of money is or is not in your bank account. You're not defined by any of these relationship status on social media. You're not defined on who wins the election this year. We're not defined by any of that. Praise God, right? But we know we have eternal life and we are citizens of heaven, not this earth. This confidence allows us the courage to live with everyday obedience and hope-filled joyful endurance because we know that we are looking forward with hope to eternal life. Where do we need to change our perspective and our hope right now? We know our earth is not our home. We're equipped to live with everyday eternal confidence in everyday circumstances, supernatural strength to sustain us through every situation. We can worship through our worries. We know that there is a purpose for our pain. We can have hope in every hurt and heartache and hard because we are anchoring our identity in the life that Jesus gives eternally. 
Praise God for that. And where do you need to anchor that today? And where do you need to believe that? It's hope in the name of Jesus. And you know what? It's not too late to put your hope in the name of the Lord today. And it changes everything. I received a message this week or talking with a dear friend, a member, a part of our church family who has been coming for several months now. And um, she and her husband have lived many decades on this life and her husband's health is declining, which is really tough. And he is, was not a believer for the longest time. And she was, we were praying, we were praying as a small group, we were praying, praying, praying. And last week got a message from this dear friend that said, my husband wants you to know that he's coming around and that he just gave his life to the Lord. I've never met him, but they watch our services online together. Even as earthly health deteriorates, there is now a guarantee of eternal life forever. Praise God for that. And that it's not too late for any one of us in this room. Put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ to have everything change in a moment because that's what Jesus does. He's a giver of eternal life. Would you have that confidence today? And would you trust the Lord with everything? Remember, Jesus' divinity gives them authority over everyone and everything. So the third dominion of Jesus' authority and our right response in this text is this, that Jesus has authority over our judgment. So what's our right response? Honor him. Look at verse 22 and 23. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may what? Honor the son, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sends him. Yet again, Jesus is declaring his divinity in a way that would resonate clearly because the, the religious leaders knew. And again, he's speaking to the religious leaders. They knew that God, the father was the one that judges and I'm a living testimony of that. You know why? Because my name is Daniel. You know what the name Daniel means? Amen, Daniel. Way to go. That's all right, my brother Daniel over there. God is my judge. Absolutely. God is my judge. That I, my identity isn't anchored in what anybody else thinks about me because I am secure in my identity because of what Jesus says about me. But here's the reality that right here, the reality that Jesus is going to judge, that God the Father has given the judgment to him. And who's going to get judged? Not just some of us, but the sex says all of us, all judgment to the son. And who's supposed to honor the son? All. All of us will honor Jesus. And all of us will stand before Jesus and have to give an account to Jesus for how we lived our lives. And Jesus will judge us. What would you say right now if you stood before Jesus and had to give an account for how you're living your life right now? You might be able to fool me. You might be able to fool your spouse. You might be able to fool your small group. You might even be able to fool yourself, but you will not fool Jesus Christ. Friends, he already knows. Like he already knows. <laughs> and he loves you and he died for it anyway. There's no sin that you can commit that can outrun the grace of God. Praise God. There's not a mess big enough that his mercy won't cover. Like that's his grace, that's the gospel, praise God. So may we humble ourselves and express the reality that we need Jesus. What would you say? Jesus is establishing right here the reason for why we should worship him. Another reason, because he's God. He's like, 
the father has given judgment to the son so that all may honor the son. You know what the honor word honor means here? It means to affix worth, to revere. It's another way to say worship. Worship is describing worth. And that means that Jesus, I'm going to elevate you over everything else. I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm going to honor you. And I'm going to submit my life under the authority of God's word. I'm going to obey you. Because Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. God has exalted Jesus. Will we exalt Jesus? Because we will stand before Jesus. What is honor? Honor means to surrender, to revere, to obey, to delight in doing this. Not out of duty, well, maybe sometimes it feels like a duty or maybe it is duty for us, but man, may we move from duty to delight and desire. It means to follow who Jesus is to us should elicit honor and worship of Jesus from us. And every, every person will honor Jesus. How do I know that? God's word says so, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. This is the back part of the text. After Jesus humbles himself, he leaves the place he didn't have to leave. He comes to people that despise and reject him. He humbles himself, takes on the form of a servant, even to the cross. And then look at what God does for him. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, how many knees? Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. All of us will honor Jesus. You will bend the knee. Humble yourself or you will be humbled because God loves you. Where do you need to humble yourself? Where do you need to choose to bend the knee today? And before you stand, when you stand before the Lord in judgment, your eternal destination has already been determined. It's, you will bend the knee. But Jesus very well, if you have not believed in him right now, cast you away. That's what he says it over and over in the gospel of Matthew. Different places, different illustrations, different things, but he says it over and over. What is honor? In view of who Jesus is, choose to worship him. Ann and I have, this is, we're gonna be married 20 years this year, which is crazy. Praise God that she puts up with me for this long. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> Um, but we were dating uh, 20, 25 years ago when we were in college. Man, that feels like a long time. Um, <laughs> or yesterday. Um, but um, we had a song that sort of became one of our anthems. And, and there was a season where she was for two months living as a missionary in Romania, uh, working at an orphanage for kids. And we would instant messenger back and forth. You know what instant messenger is? Like, yeah, I'm dating myself. Like, you know, and, and it's a song. And here's some lyrics from the song. It now hangs on our wall in our home. And it says, uh, the title of it is, You Are My King. Um, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. It was sung at our wedding. I'm accepted, you were condemned. And I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, should die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you. And all I do to honor you, in response to the reality of the gospel, May we honor our king, not just in some of the things that we do, but in all of the things that we do. Where do you need to honor Jesus today? What's your next step to honor Jesus, to honor Jesus with your obedience, to honor Jesus in your marriage, to honor Jesus in your parenting, 
to honor Jesus in your finances, to honor Jesus in your speech, to honor Jesus in the workplace, to honor Jesus at church, to honor Jesus in fill in the blank, right? All I do, may I honor you. That's what the text says, that all may honor him. May we be a people that delights in honoring and worshiping and admiring and elevating and exalting our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's our heart. That's why we exist, friends. Honor Jesus with our pursuits and our priorities. Where do we need to honor Jesus today? Because more than just a, a wise guy or a good teacher or even a prophet, Jesus is our King. And he's our judge. He's our lamb who died for us and he's our lion who reigns over us. He's risen and he's reigning. The question is, are you honoring? The fourth dominion of his authority that we see in this text is that Jesus has authority over our eternal future. The right, with our right response, submit to him. He has our author, his authority over our eternal future, not just our present, but into the future. Verse 26 into 27 and 28 and 29, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Up until this point, Jesus has been talking about a lot of the present. What happens as he just in the immediate, when you put your faith in the Lord, that we get to have eternal life in that moment. We're guaranteed of that, that we have been changed from death to life in the moment on earth when we put our hope and faith in the Lord. And now he turns his face towards the future whether there is an hour that is coming when Jesus will come again for a second time. And we will give an account. He will judge us. And we will either be resurrected to life or resurrected to judgment, cast away into a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, for all of eternity. Now, how do we know this? What's the basis of Jesus' authority to do this? Well, Jesus himself speaks very clearly to it in verse 27. He says, and he, God the Father, has given him authority to execute judgment. Because why? Because he is the son of man. Anybody know where that reference is to? And if you are in the men's retreat this past fall, you get a head start. Any book of the Old Testament? <laughs> Daniel, Daniel 7 where Daniel receives a vision of the Lord and he prophesies it. And here's the first part of the vision of the Lord and it involves God the Father. And the second part involves God the Son, Jesus Christ. Daniel 7 verses nine and 10, it says, as I looked, this is Daniel speaking, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Now, we don't have time to go into all the details here. There's a lot there. But man, what an image, right? 
of authority and reality and severity and the court sat in judgment. And the book was opened, the book of life was opened. The ancient of days is God the Father. He's always existed. He exists outside the time, just like Jesus Christ, the Son does. And man, if this vision doesn't inspire awe at the authority and the power of our God. But Daniel continues in verses 13 and 14 of that same text in Daniel 7. He says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came on like a son of man. That's talking about Jesus. And he came to the ancient of days, God the Father, and he was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory, a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Praise God. He is the king of kings. It's stating the reality that Jesus is our king and he has been given a kingdom that will not be torn away, that will have no end. It will not be destroyed. And so when it says the son of man comes and will judge, it's talking about this scene that the Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled, the promised second coming of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of debate about when that will happen. Here's the reality. It will happen. (laughs) He's coming. And he will execute judgment on everyone. And you will either be cast into heaven or into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, there's different thoughts on exactly how the timelines for how all those things process. But the main point of this text is that he judges and that he will determine our eternal future. The powerful picture of Jesus's divinity, his authority over life and death and the sobering reality of the eternal consequences. If you choose to reject Jesus, no more excuses, no more time. And this text is not saying, let's be very crystal clear on this, that you are saved by doing good. Verse 29 says, and come out those who have done good. It is not saying you earn your way to salvation. You are saved by grace through faith alone. It is not of yourself so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But don't forget Ephesians 2, 10. We are saved to not by works, but we are saved to do the works, the good works of God out of our salvation, out of God's grace for his glory. The greater works that God has so that we might display his glory and his splendor. This is saying if you are living, the, the, if you are following genuinely the Lord, if you are truly a believer, your life uh, will be evidenced with the fruit of obedience. The per, the, that you are my King Jesus, I wanna live your way. You are my King Jesus, I wanna submit to your word. You are my King Jesus, my priorities align to you. You are my King Jesus, I wanna live for you, God. I wanna live on your mission and my faith. It's, that's what this is saying. So who is Jesus to you? He's the king. He's the lamb who died for you and he's the lion who reigns over you and he's good. Reminds me of that famous quote from the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, right? They're like, who is this Aslan who essentially is Jesus? (laughs) Mr. Beaver said, he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You can respect Jesus, but are you revering him? You can know about Jesus without surrendering to him. You could admire him without adoring him. You can be faithful to attend church without ever being faithful to follow Christ. Do you know Jesus? 
Have you submitted your life to our King? He's the King. Have you bent the knee? Are you bending the knee right now in every area? When you think about Jesus being your King, there are a lot of different aspects and responses and five of them come to my mind and I'm guessing that there's a variety of that in this room. When you hear about King Jesus, you might think apathetically. Eh, Jesus, nice guy, whatever. I got my everyday life, whatever. You know, he's going to do his thing. I'm going to do mine, right? <laughs> you might think about Jesus ambivalently. Oh, I'm not sure what Jesus is saying. Ah, I go back and forth. I don't know. You know, one day I feel emotional high from going to church. The next day, like Jesus is telling me to do something I really don't want to do. So whatever, Jesus, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> And you're torn, you go back and forth. You haven't quite bent the knee. You got a little religion in you, but got no relationship in you. Or maybe you think about Jesus as King Jesus, you think adversarially. Like Jesus, you're telling me, you want me to change my life. I am not gonna change my life. I'm gonna live the best me possible anchored in me. What Jesus wants you to do is counter to what you wanna do. And so you view Jesus more as an obstacle than your overcomer and you fight against him, you push against him. I wanna live for culture, not for Christ. I wanna serve the created more than the creator. Read Romans one and see how that ends. Where are you serving? Who are you serving? The creator or the creator? One has authority to give you life, the other one will suck your life. Or maybe you think of Jesus, your king is your advisor. You know Jesus, you kind of like him. You think he's cool, he's got some wise sayings. And you know what, Jesus, I, I will take your, your thinking and I will consider that. I will take when you say, forgive, and I'll take that under consideration. Forgive without limit, 70 times seven. Well, I'm gonna talk to some other people and see what they say, and then I'm gonna go back and do what I wanna do. I will take you into my account, my circle of advisors, and then I'll, at the end of the day, who's gonna determine what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna determine what I'm gonna do. You're a nice guy. I want to learn more about your word. And I go to church, I go to small group and I'll consider you, but I will not submit to you. Some days I'll do it your way. Some days I'll do it my way. Whenever, whatever the wind blows, whatever's convenient, whatever's comfortable, that's the way I'll do. Cause you're a great advisor, but you're not my authority. Maybe if you're really, really, really real, that's you. And then finally, Jesus is my King. He's my authority because he's my Lord. He's my King. I'm going to bend the knee. You want to do this in my marriage? God, I don't, this is hard, but I want to, I want to fight with all I have to surrender. You want to do this in my finances? God, I, I've been, I don't know. You want to do this in my job? It doesn't make sense. God, it doesn't make sense. I, I, I want more money to be comfortable, but you're calling me to do different things. God, you want to do this in my relocation or where I live? You want to do this, God, in my relationship? God, you want to do this? And I, ah, but I will, I will honor you because you are my king. I was talking to a couple recently and they're like, we need to get Jesus in our relationship. And they're fighting to do that. I'm so proud of them for doing that. It changes everything when you submit. It brings life. It brings hope. We tried it our way, but we can't do it. We need to do it Jesus's way. And yes, it's hard. We're going to stub our toe. We're going to take two steps back, but we're going to allow the grace of God to heal us, forgive us and propel us forward in obedience. Where do you need to submit to your heart and your life right now? Because he's king. Would you bow your heads with me? You are the son of God, Jesus. And we love you. And friends, I just want you right now in this moment to think, think, 
when you think about King Jesus, are you ambivalent about it? Apathetic about it? Adversarial about it? Do you consider him your advisor? Or is he your authority? Jesus is offering you life right now. Life eternally, and maybe you've never made that decision and you need to make it right here, right now, that you've never truly believed and maybe you thought you believed or maybe you've been a long, 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 long way for decades. I can tell you that Jesus will heal you right now and save you. Will you choose to surrender? Come as you are, not as you aren't. Or maybe you've wandered off. You gave, you gave that life to the Lord a long time ago or a little bit ago, but you've bumped him out of the way and you're living you right now. Repent. Repent and come back, humble yourself or be humbled, both of which are God's love for you to restore the reality that Jesus is your king and the best thing for you is to him beyond the throne of your heart and life. Where do you need to submit? Jesus is, as our king, is worthy of our, of our admiration, of our marveling. He's worthy of our belief. He's worthy of our honor and he's worthy of our submission. allow this truth to just go in one ear and out the other. Eternity hangs in the balance. He's offering you life eternally and he's offering you life on earth abundantly, filled with joy even when the journey's hard, filled with hope even when you're full of heartache, filled with peace even when you have a bunch of problems, filled with purpose even when you experience a lot of pain. Anchored in the reality of our identity that we know we can have eternal life with Jesus and we'll have it. Father, we love you and we need you. You are the son of God. You have authority. And I just pray that we would respond submissively, humbly, in a way that honors you and exalts you for the reality of who you are. You are our king that came to die for us that looked at our mess and, and died for us anyway and offered us mercy, took our guilt and gave us grace, took our sin upon yourself, took my place. What love, there's no greater love than this, that you would lay down your life for us. And it's our joy and our honor and all we do to follow you. Jesus, thank you for being our king. Thank you for giving us life when we had no other hope. Help us today to choose to live your way in all things. In your name we pray, amen.